Hello, diary listeners. Happy 5th of July. It's the day after the 4th of July, and I do hope that everybody had a wonderful holiday. I know this podcast is coming to you late. I admit being undisciplined here and really just having a great 4th of July for myself and hoping that I encourage that in all of you to just have a great weekend and enjoy your holiday. Something cool was coming down the pipeline this week and I just held out for it. I really didn't know how this would go. So this podcast was kind of recorded in a kamikaze fashion. I really do think I spoke more than I should have, so I'm going to admit that. But I met with a really cool dude. I, uh, I'm very fortunate that he gave me so much of his time today. We, we kind of did two different recordings. So there's going to be an episode of me on his show. He also has a podcast It's called The Tattooed Mind, and that's actually what I'm going to name this week's diary entry, just to give him a spotlight. And the host and the guy that you'll be hearing in this podcast is Mike Fisher Du Bois, and he's located in Chicago. So I really hope you guys enjoy this, even though I'm I would be lying if I said I I wasn't a little regretful of the fact that I talk so much. But y'all know me, and uh I hope you enjoy this. Welcome to the Apprenticeship Diaries, where raw meets refined. Let's be real, we're still working on (laughs) refined. What it took, what it takes, and the stories that are made. Join us as we learn from professionals about how their stories begin. Wonderful. Hello, hello. Um, I am here today with uh, Mike. Mike uh, Fisher Du Bois, I found out, which I wanted to say Dubois, but he's in Chicago, so (laughs) we're going with that. Um, uh, We met in a very interesting way, which I love, on the, uh, the Facebook forum. Yeah. I won't mention it because we're not supposed to. I think that's part of the rules is that you don't take anything outside of that space and, and share. But I noticed that you had a, a shameless plug of your podcast and I was super excited. So yeah. Um, do you want to introduce it? Yeah. Um, so I'm Mike and my podcast is called the tattooed mind. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a weird combo between a self-help 12-step group sort of thing and me really having a lot of issues in my own life and wanting to get to ask other people how they deal with their issues. Um, I got really tired of the whole atmosphere of the guru that we see in a lot of podcasts um and it just made sense to me to just talk to normal people we're all a lot smarter and wiser than people normally give us credit for and i wanted to get to you know pull that out of people and get real wisdom not some shit from some guy who you know his 
been talking about how to live the happy, perfect life for so long that he forgot what people are actually dealing with. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, four years ago when I started this, because you're first before I go into that, um, because, you know, I really do want to know uh, how long have you been tattooing? Because you're a tattoo artist as well. Yeah, uh, I started tattooing professionally in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been like messing up my friends since I was like 16 and I'm 32 now. So um, <laughs> it's like 16 years with the tattoo machine, but yeah, 13 of them professionally. Sounds like my driving uh, life. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, uh, that's wonderful. Now, do you do you own your own shop or do you work under someone? Uh, so I rent a booth space okay. in a shop. I work at West Loop Tattoo Collective, which is owned by uh, Josh Grable, who's a really awesome color realism guy. He does black and gray realism too, but um, particularly his color realism is like above board. So. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Just so that everybody kind of knows, because I think this will wrap up where I think we align and kind of what I felt from when I listened to your podcast, I felt the same kind of kinship. I started mine four years ago and it was the same kind of thing, but more so in terms of podcasting in general and I, I think that's what you're alluding to is that like this guru or this at the very least you're hearing from somebody who's so uh, the way I like to visualize it is a mountain and you know they're all the way on top of the mountain and they're trying to tell somebody at the base of the mountain how to get on top of the mountain and th- you just can't hear them like you can't hear them and you have to get at least partially way up before you even kind of understand or can listen to them from that point. So I got really tired of it because I felt like it just didn't offer a lot of opportunity for people who were just starting out, who are the most desperate, seeking, searching kind of people. And I feel like, you know, when you when you start out from that spot, I guess, I guess the way to put it is to wrap it into what you said was they say that when you're getting clean, it's not from addiction. It's not, uh, it's not the getting clean. That's kind of the thing that'll make you fall or the worst of your addictive point. It's the failure, the first failure after you're clean, that'll really, really rock you. And I think when people are searching and if you don't meet them where they're at enough, they just feel like the climb is too far and they're defeated before they even start. Totally. Yeah. Um, And I got two really cool ways to kind of branch off of that real quick. The first is you talk about like people on this mountain um, and, and not to like trash talk anybody, but I recorded my first like two episodes and then tattoo gate happened. Um, mm. and, and we all know who was involved in that. But that was a clear cut case of somebody who had absolutely no concept of what was happening to in other people's lives, giving advice and acting like they somehow had an authority to tell people what they should be doing. Um, 
So my podcast just happened to line up with that. It wasn't inspired by it, but I think it was a really good lesson for all of us, not just in the tattoo community, but in every aspect of our lives to like watch when we think we are an authority figure. Um, Because really the only thing we know at the end of the day is about our own lives. Mm -hmm. And that goes into so much about like addiction too, um, which is why I've tried to really push my podcast into a place of allowing other people to talk about what's happened in their lives, what they've done, but it's not a how to get sober. It's not a how to get past self-doubt. It's not how to be a better tattooer. It's how this person has approached those situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really important. You know, nobody, nobody is an expert in what's going on in your life, but we're all experts in our own lives. Oh, absolutely. And I think that Oh, there's so many ways I can branch off that. This is going to be, that's why I was laughing (laughs) before we started, because I was like, this is going to be fun. We're both going to be like, just (laughs) airing off of each other. It's going to be great. Um, Yes. Uh, And the longer that you do tattooing, the more you'll see those really neat synchronicities like tattoo gate and things like that. Because I think that in both of, at least in both of our cases, this was fueled by passion. And this was fueled by a very sincere want to connect with people and to bring ourselves back. And that's what has always driven art. It's what's driven tattooing. And it's what I understand the whole thing to be about is that, you know, even just in art, art, art is something that artists go to for a sense of control, peace, meditation, all of those things. And what what it ends up being on the outside is just this evocative inspiration to other people. And it's a connector. It's, it's a way to come back because I don't think as an artist, you really can make that really gritty good art unless you suffered trauma and unless you have felt something so much that the only thing that you have left to do is to pause within that and reflect and create something that can actually realign you back with society. But because of that choice to do that, it becomes such an inspiration to other people because you made a really amazing choice because what you could have chosen was to hurt people or take advantage of people or you know any monstrous thing to really get this awful awful energy out of you but what you decided to do was go inward and reflect and in a non-violent way you know take your energy out on something that was you know not going to hurt people but 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 communicate to them in a way that only you can and and it brings people back to each other and so I, I think that both of us, it sounds like we're really interested in like the community, you know, like the tattoo gate, that's us as tattoo artists or any kind of artists moving towards industry. But what we are interested in is the people and the community yeah. and that, that grassroots link. And right now more than ever, 
I mean, you're seeing everything. You're seeing tattoo schools. You're seeing online courses. You're, and honestly, I cannot, I cannot say I wasn't a part of that um, because in the beginning, I just came to this as any passionate being, you know, not thinking about anything nefarious, you know, even the garden, you know, listening to the snake, being like, why, why doesn't everybody know about this? Like, why? why aren't we teaching everybody? Why is there so much like quote unquote gatekeeping and stuff? But I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't understand how educational industry happened. And I, I didn't understand that very classic fable or, or I guess parable or phrase of that good intentions lead to hell, you know, like it, it just always happens. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a believer now, so I, I have faith it's all going to be fine, but yeah. it's sad. It's very sad. It is. But part of that, too, when you think about it, everything is gate kept, you know. So what yes. we're really seeing now is a transition in tattooing where instead of being gate kept by people deciding using just the random will of some slightly racist white guy in his 40s um deciding if you're allowed to learn how to do this now it's just how much money somebody can make which at the end of the day is often decided by some slightly racist white guy in his 40s um so man like it's still being gatekept and it's going to continue to be gatekept it's just going to be a $15,000 student loan that's going to gatekeep people from getting into tattooing instead of people who have put their passion and their love into the culture. Um, so I don't know. I, no, 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 I don't you're, think you're 100% correct. Um, yeah. But see, I, I didn't understand from the, from the, cause I, I came to tattooing for, from not wanting to tattoo. I came to tattooing because I wanted to do my art for a living. And honestly, mm -hmm. I saw it as an avenue based upon having training in art already. I dropped out of college, but I I then took all the art education, which there was many um, incidents of art education. My parents, just as soon as they saw that I liked to draw, they just kept feeding it to me. And Threw like, it at you. Yeah, like she shuts, shuts up for hours. So <laughs> I just keep giving it to her. <laughs> so I just saw it as a way for me to find my way and it looked lucrative. So in, in earnest, I was... I was coming to it from a place that wasn't, I think, um, pure, uh, as far as like, and, and I got a lot of flack in the beginning from, you know, to call them old heads. Now I feels derogatory, but they're, they're OG, you know, like they know the history, they know what they had to suffer. They know what this was all built upon and they're super skilled human beings. I mean, I resent the fact that I have to do 10 jobs just to function now, but they did everything. They like mixed the ink, they made their needles. They, you know, like they did everything in order to make a tattoo happen. And so my podcast is all about, like you were saying, kind of understanding where I existed in all of this and just being honest. And for me, it was the same thing. It was like, I can only speak from my experience here and that is what it is. Um, 
but I was so interested in the learning journey, how you came to learn this, because what I saw was that because it's not across the board regulated in any place, there is no blanket teaching platform and there hasn't been for a long time. And it was apprenticeship. Um, I figured that was a great thing to land on and it would give me the ability to be very messy because I equally didn't know how to do a podcast either. (laughs) So so I was like, okay, this has got to be really, really like, I got to give myself lots of ins or outs here, I guess, however you'd put it, uh, to flail in the water (laughs) as I learned to swim. (laughs) But yeah, um, you know, I, the same thing happened in hair and um i didn't realize how much it was happening in tattooing i think until and actually it was so funny right before this podcast i had a friend of mine who she's incredible um creative uh she's not a tattooist but she's heavily tattooed and she said have you seen these ads what do you think about this please talk about it on on your podcast um but it was an advertising for um, online teaching for tattooing. And um, I said, you know, this is how it always happens. I was like, it it doesn't, um, it evolves slowly. And it always starts with the best intentions. It always starts with people who just really want things to be done well and who want to safeguard other people from missteps. Um, I think in an earnest place, it, at the very least, those people are counseled and listened to and and regulation is started because of that. But in all the states, um, the board that they usually go through in order to regulate is the board of cosmetology. And that's very succinct because tattooing is actually, or not tattooing, um, Hair and hair cutting is actually the oldest profession outside of prostitution. It has its mm-hmm. roots in medical as well, because old school barber barbers used to teeth pull, bloodlet, all of that. In fact, the barber pole is a representative of bloodletting because they would yeah. hang rags out and they would just spiral in the wind. And that's where they got the symbol. But then they broke apart. And they noticed that like, you know, they had to fractionalize, I think the industry because one was moving a lot more into the medical research and the other was just in like basic grassroots, like teaching people how to do very, very low level hygiene and maintenance of, you know, their body, both very much so necessary, but before it really fractionalized, it got very regulatory because you were opening people's blood, you were pulling teeth, and then the regulation never whittled away. It just keeps scaling because once something's given power, it just keeps scaling over time. So now it's just money. Um, honestly, uh, hair is one of the most overregulated uh, industries there is. Um, you actually need more learning hours, practical hours, learning to cut hair than to be a state cop. So oh, I believe you, that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's <laughs> like a, it's like a year of school in most places to oh yeah do, um to do hair. And I think the police around here do eight weeks. Yes. Well, and, and this is the other thing. So what happens is, and my parents were like in the center of all of this, cause they own their own hair salon and they were 
not only owning their own hair salon, but they're very business minded and everything. So what they noticed was something that was happening. Um, they were noticing a lot of in- interesting things. So for one, kids that had the ability to track a cal- college path were always encouraged to go that route. They were never put in vocational schools. It was only the delinquent kids mm-hmm. or the trouble cases that were put in vocation. Oh, you're you're too good to go to vocational school. So we're going to send all of the problem kids to that route. So that was that was one thing my parents noticed. The other thing was is that there was all these product companies coming out and they would elicit like their, you know, they would they would hire um, practitioners to sell their product lines. And then they would start with education programs sponsored through the product and all of this stuff. Eventually you'd have schools, Paul Mitchell School of Hair and Design and things like that. So there's that. And then there, um, there was this regulatory body that kind of seemed to favor the schools because there is almost double the amount of hours that you have to put in if you go the apprenticeship route of cutting hair. Uh, I think it's 1,200 hours to pay for an education in barbering. And it is 2,000, it's like 2,225, I think, if you are to do the apprenticeship route. And it's, you know, it's weird because the apprenticeship route is actually the best route to go because you're actually practically applying your information all the time. You're gaining a clientele as you go. You're learning what is actually happening all around you, what is and isn't necessary. The school teaches you something that's antiquated. Like I can tell you what I had to do for to pass my practical exam in hair. I had to remove an eighth of an inch of hair, which is like dust. I mean, it's like yeah. an eighth and an inch of hair in a haircut. Um, so I had to do that. I had to perform putting on uh, perm rods, which who the hell gets a perm now? Like it doesn't really happen. Um, and I had to perform a hot lather shave, which you're a dude. When have you, I mean, maybe as like a, a novelty you've gone, maybe. <laughs> I mean, they, they actually, they usually offer to do the shave. Like whenever you go, I, I turn it down. I grow like three beard yeah. hairs. So. so you're like, it's not necessary. Yeah. It just gives me razor burn. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that your over-the-counter Bic has more ability to give you a better shave yeah. than one straight razor. Okay. Yes. It's, it's novel. You know, you, so, and, and it's, it's just ridiculous. This, this, this very antiquated test that has no relation to real life. And then people go to completely certified licensed hairstylists and then wonder why they get a bad haircut. And it's the same thing that's happening to tattooing. And yeah, go ahead. Oh, totally. Um, it, it, that's absolutely happening. But I think what we're also ignoring when we talk about that is how people like you or me who have these art school backgrounds, who 
our artists and who's some of these old heads, you know, would have said, you don't belong in here. Um, like we're making tattooing better mm -hmm. um, across the board. And I don't think anybody can say that tattooing hasn't gone leaps and bounds better in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, Correct. The other side of that is these tattoo schools are not anything new. People want to talk about them like they're just happening. But I mean, like the Zeiss uh, like catalogs offered tattoo classes. Those were like around in like the 30s, mm -hmm. like the 1930s, you know, mm -hmm. um, like tattooing has always had this. It, so it's kind of like this funny, like, you know, oh, things were better back in my day nonsense that we keep getting fed till people then believe it. They're like, oh, this isn't how it used to be. This is how it has always been. Now you just have a corporation trying to make money off of it, uh, which is just like hair there, where all of a sudden, you know, instead of some guy trying to charge $10,000 for an apprenticeship, you, you have a real company realizing, hey, we can charge $10,000 for an apprenticeship but we'll at least make sure they learn something, even if it's trash. You know, I mean, I didn't learn anything in my apprenticeship. <laughs> like we're going to get to that. Um, <laughs> um, well, yeah, you're right. The, the, the problem is, is that I think the natural evolution of humans is to um, follow the course of centralization of power all the yeah. time. And again, it, it just has a grassroots and good intentions that lead to hell. But, you know, I, I know now recently to a friend that has tried to at least be a part of, she was, you know, she was figuring, well, if it's going to happen anyway, I, I, I would like to be at least a part of it yeah, um, because it's going to happen anyway. And I think that that, you know, I'm glad I know her. She's a friend and she's an ally, but she said, you know, you need $5,000 to even petition the board on any kind of regulatory thing so that kind of buy-in to even just approach the issue is always going to default to people who have such income and power that they can readily do that and so you know it's it's one of those things that i think universally whenever you watch artists and the reason why they say starving artist is because of where we come to our art from, like what we're driven by. We're not driven, we're driven by something insane. Like it doesn't even make any sense. It's, it's, it really is our insanity that makes us do it because we don't do it for the money. We don't do it for any, anything like that. We do it because we have to do it and we always get used over time. And so now I can just see all of the pawns that get thrown at war all the time, you know, the front line mm -hmm. of things. And we're moving there. You know, if artists don't think we're moving there, we are. It has been happening, but. Yeah, absolutely. We are. And that's like a terrible thing because tattooing is one of like the last places where um, this corporatism of America hasn't like gotten in line. And we all make far better money than anybody else who puts in the amount of work we do or has the education level that we do. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, even if you're working at a percentage shop and you're giving your boss half of what you make, 
you're still making a full 50% off that profit, you know, and how much do you think a person who makes, uh, you know, like an iPhone or whatever gets out of that sale of that iPhone, they get pennies, com- mm-hmm. you know, compared to us getting even half is like considered bad in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not going to be around forever because truthfully, they're going to come up with some sort of machine that replaces us for menial stuff. And at that point, like we'll all have to move to this new format. Um, you can or, go a lot of different stand ways. Together. I think it's going to, I think regulation is actually going to throttle it more than anything. I'm more than a machine. I think it's going to come down to probably an infiltrate. I don't know. I don't know. You could, I, I, I don't, I'm new to thinking of things this way. I hate it. I hate that. I hate <laughs> it makes for some long nights. It does. Well, I mean, you know, like I try not to get caught up into it. I think that's what brought me to God and my belief in God was just understanding that it's all going to be fine. You know, like it, I, I have to stay there because the truth of the matter is, is that this is cyclical. Um, there's a really good book called The Fourth Turning, and it examines um, the natural phases and seasons of at least America and throughout history and how there's, you know, this great rebirth kind of thing. And then it's kind of like the seasons, like you have spring and summer and fall and winter. And we're now we're now in the winter phase. And it's it's not you know, it's not right to try to sit there and go, I want to stop winter from coming. I don't like it. It's like, no, dude, it's coming. And you either prepare for it or you don't prepare for it, but it's happening. And the the benefit is, is that there will be this amazing rebirth. And what, what that will be, I don't know. Um, but there will be this hope to hang on to. And I think those who are who are truly, I think, compelled by a place that both you and I are compelled to will be fine you know um so that's that's the benefit if anybody's listening that like you know I'm the first to admit that if you give me an easy path I mean I'm sitting right now honestly because I'm not I'm at home I'm sitting in my pajama pants if you give me an easier (laughs) path I will take it like if I don't have to fully put on all of my work clothes (laughs) I I will sit in my pajama pants all day. So I'm the first to tell you that if you present me with an ability to be lazy where I feel like it's not going to hurt anybody, I'm going to take it. So I I know I I know that this is a you know, I I'm I'm no better than anyone else when it comes to folly and when it comes to um I guess you in in the biblical sense call it sinning. But like I'm, I'm no better. <laughs> so, um, but that was the whole point. Yeah. You know, to offer that that connection to people to let them know that like no matter where you're starting, you know, we all had to start, and you know, it's that moxie that really makes the difference long term. Is that if you're really doing it, I think from a a place that is like I said, nuts, crazy nuts. Like you can't even describe why you're doing it. You're just like, I, I, I don't know. I'm listening to the voices in my head. (laughs) So I often wonder if we get into art because we're crazy or if the art actually is part of what makes us crazy because we spend all this time sitting 
alone and as good as alone time can be for us it also allows us to really you know think too much and we live in a society that isn't designed around us getting to think a lot for ourselves and you know we're we're just sitting there and we're hyper focused and sometimes i think that's actually what drives all of us to be a little bit you know um <laughs> it was the chicken the like, egg thing right yeah you know? exactly which is why tattooing is so great because it reconnects us because our canvases i mean not to call them that i don't like calling them that but our collectors yeah are are people who are actually willing to sit there and suffer within this space that makes it really really cool and within that we have the ability to confer with another human being and i think it brings yeah. us back and that's become my favorite part of the job mm -hmm. over the years. Like I mostly work on large scale multi-session tattoos now. So I get to know my clients. Like I, I learn about them over the course of literally like almost everyone I work on. I work on at like always two sessions. I do every tattoo in two sessions. But a lot of these people I know for six months to a year while we're working on a sleeve and then they decide to do their other sleeve and then their partner decides to get a sleeve. So, I, I mean, my clients become family almost. Mm -hmm. I know a lot about them. Uh, they know a lot about me. I'm very open with people. Um, you know, and that like took a lot of practice. Maybe some of that had to do with me going through recovery and having to be like, oh, wow, I can't believe you're coming back. Uh, just so you know, we're going to work on this tattoo again. Here's what's up. I was either hung over, possibly drinking when I did this, you know, like I had to be open with people and it created this whole new environment that I try to bring into my chair and I love it now. Mm -hmm. um, it's just completely changed my view on tattooing and reinvigorated me. I was ready to quit tattooing, um, but I also was looking at my clients like they were canvases and not like they were complex people who happened to have the lapse of judgment that they were going to come to me <laughs> oh man i didn't even catch that in the first recording guys but uh mike was giving off some self-deprecating humor there he's so awesome uh i figured this would be a great time to shout out since i will i will acknowledge at the end of this podcast i do not ask him preferred modes of contact or anything like that his work is beautiful, as I'll post, along with, you know, airing the podcast. Gorgeous black and gray work. He's amazingly talented, does not give himself enough credit. So you can find him on IG, and uh, his tattoo page is mike.fd.tattoos. And, uh, and his podcast is called The Tattooed Mine, but you can find that on Instagram, at uh, the.tattooed.mind. Uh, definitely follow him in both spaces. Uh, the podcast is super clean. I mean, everything... He just doesn't give himself enough credit, folks. And if you're going to reach out to him uh, in a preferred way, he does, he does ask that you email him. And the email is... Let me find it for us real quick because he did send it over to me and I apologize for not having it readily available but you guys know how I am how I do I'm I'm really a mess so uh here here is the information it is dubois arts dot tattoos 
at gmail.com. And Du Bois is spelled D-U-B-O-I-S arts dot tattoos at gmail.com. That's how he prefers to be contacted. Uh, so if you want to work with him, send, send him an email. I would think it requires you being in the Chicago area, but his work's good enough that it's not a misjudgment on your part or anyone's to find his art amazing. So go check him out, follow him where you can. And if you're in the, if you're in the market for a great black and gray tattoo, Mike can help you out. Well, I think it's, um, I mean, you asked the question, I mean, for myself, I think that for me with art, I think I had a natural affinity for doing things with my hands and creating things anyway, but I think it was mostly because it offered me a place to be recognized in a rare way. And in all other ways, I felt inadequate. I felt rejected and I felt like I was just an F up, you know, like I was just, I, I just, I like, but that was the one place where I could actually be that people was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I just kept doing it because I think acutely we have a fear of abandonment. And I think that's what we're really drawn to is just this rejection that we don't want to feel. And I think that that's why it gets to a point where you know, the, the, the reclusivity and things like that is because, you know, the confronting our fear in regards to other people and what that, that critic, that over, you know, that critic, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think that this is the place that we go to where we can actually, you know, fly and where the critic isn't that bad. My critic's the worst. I, I'm the critic. Well, me too. <laughs> and, and you can never escape them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of why I was at that point where I was like just ready to stop tattooing. Mm. Um, because I wasn't feeling like I was getting the recognition I deserved or whatever, even though I was like people loved the tattoos. They were coming to me. They were paying me. People were liking them on Facebook and Instagram and always telling me, oh, you're good at your job. Um, but I like never could be enough, you know, I think is the big thing. You'll never get enough attention to feed that like beast. Um, yeah, there's an episode of Futurama of all things where um, there's a an alien who's a famous actor and he always wears a bag on his head and he's like the best actor in the world. And then they find out that he literally lives off attention, like, and can take over entire planets just by getting attention. Um, and that is every artist that I know. We're all like these like hidden secretive narcissists. Yeah. Um, who the just narcissism. Need <laughs> yeah. We just need people to tell us they love us. I know. I know. And, and, um, no, I 100% identify. Um, uh, what was I going to say? I, I, um, I mean, we, it sounds like we share a lot of similarities as far as like our paths and like how we come to things. Um, I, uh, 
my addictions are more uh, socially acceptable. Uh, so I'm a codependent and I also uh, love to eat. So, I mean, you have to eat. So I had yeah. to figure out how to eat well. <laughs> and thank God my body is like, hey, chick, you can't like <laughs> you can't keep doing what you're doing anymore. So there's there's, you know, you get ground down from time. But um, I guess just so everybody can meet you, um, how did you because my audience knows me, I can always go into my background, <laughs> too, I, and, and talk about that. We can cross pollinate a little bit because we're kind of planning to plug each other. Yeah. Um, what did what did your beginning look like? Like, how did you decide to get into tattooing? I I've wanted to tattoo since I was like 14 years old. Um, I, I always tell this story, so I'm sorry if it sounds a little scripted. It is, um, I, I was watching, uh, like, uh, what was the Miami Inc. It was like, you know, circa 2005 or whatever. And I, that was the first time it occurred to me that the guy who did the shitty tattoos on my mom got paid for it. And I was like, holy shit, I can draw better than this guy. I want to be a tattoo artist. Um, so that's what I wanted to do since I was little. And when I was like 16, um, I was just a troublemaker. This guy who was on house arrest, Dave, it's his name, Dave, uh, taught me how to make a homemade tattoo machine. Like they would in prison. He was just bored. You know, this guy's in his thirties teaching teenagers how to make tattoo machines. Uh, and I was hooked. I started tattooing my friends with that little rinky dink thing. Um, and I went to art school because my parents insisted I go to school and I hated it. Uh, I did really well. And I think that's part of why I hated it. It wasn't challenging for me. And so I was like, well, I had promised you guys I would go for a year. I went for a year. Now I'm going to go tattoo. And my stepmom bought me a tattoo machine she bought me a kit off ebay she was like you know what he did promise us a year he did it and so now here we go he can tattoo and so i scratched around for a couple of years after that um and then it, that went about as well as scratching usually does especially when you're a teenager you know i was like 19 and so i found an apprenticeship when i was 20 at just like this small little shop in a small town. I'm from the middle of nowhere. Um, so I apprenticed there and they basically had me tattooing like right away. Um, I, Cause I had already been tattooing and the boss just wanted to make money. So I did like a three month apprenticeship and that didn't work out great for me. You know, it wasn't bad, but I had my foot in the door now. You know, that was like my opportunity to be an official tattoo artist. I had apprentice so I could get a new job. So from there, I went to a tattoo shop in Iowa um, where I got the opportunity to learn from the, uh, one tattooer in particular who was a very good realism guy. And that was sort of like where I was able to kind of take off and start learning stuff. But that also is where I picked up like a ton of my really bad habits in my life. You know, I'd already had them foundationally, um, even like before my apprenticeship. 
but and then my apprenticeship was almost like joining a frat house where it was like hey we're gonna make you like drink all day and still do your apprentice duties because we think that's funny Mm -hmm. um but so anyways i'm in iowa i'm learning from this tattooer working with him um and my drinking starts to get bad and my shit just sort of falls apart and i keep everything together i've got you know that narcissism i was talking about going on so i think that it's everyone else who's the you know the problem i think i'm great uh everything i'm doing is fucking cool and no one else can you know just appreciate that so i moved to chicago to a really well-known tattoo shop here um they offered me a job that was proof that no Mm -hmm. i am in fact the coolest guy uh so from there it was just like whoo do whatever the hell you want um and things got really bad from that. But um, then, you know, I somehow um, I, I got I started to get sober then at the end of that. And now my life's kind of slowed down a lot. Um, honestly, like I'm totally sober for a few years now. And I do shit like podcast. And hey, I've got like a baby girl. I've got a wife. I, you know, I tattoo four days a week. Um, I just, I, I keep things low key, but I try to do a lot of, you know, com- like tattoo community oriented stuff now. Um, especially cause so much of like my own personal behavior, like negatively impacted others. It severely impacted my career. Even if I just kind of luckily still have like a good career to, you know, to fall back on. Um, so try and help others avoid that, you know? It's, it's hard when you're conscious of the impact, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and uh, you know, running into you, for example, like, so uh, this is way side tangent, but so I had posted plugging my podcast and that's when we had sort of talked about that. We added each other on Instagram, uh, back of my head gone at that point because mm-hmm. I just forget everything. And then it was like two weeks later, you had posted um, at just asking about uh, having a relationship with Christ and being in tattooing and how that works out. I had absolutely no connection in my head that you were the podcast woman um, when I and when I saw that. But you friend requested me that same day. Uh, which is funny because I saw your post, told myself when I got home from work, I would message you because I just had some advice. I didn't want to post it in public. I try to avoid, you know, doing that sort of thing. Um, so I private, was going to private message you. You friend request me. And then it like all connects after we talk like, oh, that's the podcast. Um so like there was like God was in the room right then too, uh, which is just like awesome to me when that shit happens because it happens all the time and all you have to do is like notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, that was my little sidetrack. I don't know where I was going with it, but no, I I well, I th- I think that gives our listeners a a hopeful thing because yes, it is. 
I think I think when people are bettering themselves again, it's like starting this journey that is so fraught with potential peril that it's hard to start. And when you're not in the vein of accountability, it seems ominous because like you said, you have to really, 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 you have to track backwards so much and you have to repair so much and you have to, you know, you have to come at it from a much different angle than you're used to. And the ways that you're used to weren't sometimes not, weren't destroying your life. Like they were actually uplifting you but you knew like they weren't good and so when you take this path of betterment and accountability like I just said it it, it becomes daunting because it, it's almost paralysis because <laughs> there's not you don't know where to go but once you start doing it then the little like ahas and connections happen and all of this and it's it's this beautiful rhythm that you get to feel and you get to all these light bulbs go off as you start doing it because I think that you're just in that in that vein you're just yeah. you know you're you're following that I guess if if you were to in a non-Christian way you know you're you're in the vein of like creation you're in that collective conscious you're 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 feeling everything around you and you're responding to it rather than your own selfish yeah internal in, shit <laughs> in recovery circles they refer to that as like the pink cloud that oh. happens especially when you like are first making a big change of your life in your life you get onto that pink cloud your head can be up there and you know just things are roses and you're just feeling buzzed and high um you, what really can suck is when you fall out of that though like because that does happen too you know you um you had talked about that a little bit at the beginning of our talk where like you run into that first obstacle and sometimes what can be even worse than running into that first obstacle is just like kind of petering out of those good buzzes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something like I've been like recently dealing with in my own life too. And, you know, it can be hard to just kind of be like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta keep just doing these things you know, even when it feels like a waste of time, I still have to pray every morning. Mm -hmm. Even when I don't think I need to, I still have to reach out to my friends. Even when I think like, for me, like, um, you know, maybe having a glass of wine with dinner would be safe. It's like, yeah, maybe it would be. But what happens if it isn't? Yeah. And maybe I can skip that prayer. But what happens when I do? maybe I don't need to spend my half an hour like in the morning taking care of myself, but will the rest of my day actually go the way it should go? And, you know, you have to keep in that rhythm even when you don't like it and when you don't feel good doing it. And that's mm -hmm. the, that's really hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I think that, you know, for a long time, I think when you're, especially when you're, let me, let me phrase this right. Cause the other mental shit that I have that I've been diagnosed with is adult attention deficit disorder, which is, um, different than just ADD, um, or I guess ADHD. It's, um, like I do great within structure. 
Like if, if you give me a structure, I'm going to be like A++ all stars. But if I have to make the structure myself, that's when it's chaos and I don't know how to prioritize what's next. So in recovery of that, um, a lot of times, you know, because because it's it's something that is helped with chemicals and things like that that make you aware, you know, aware and speed you up. I do love caffeine and things like that that are stimulants. Um, it, it's a really hard thing for me to let go of structure once I make it. And what you were just saying, like in the beginning, it, it takes so much rhythm to establish. But what I've noticed is, is that, um, I don't, I don't want to be prisoner to that rhythm because I feel like, again, it's like another form of narcissism where, you know, thank God I don't have kids, but like, if my kid were a part of it, like daddy needs to, or mommy needs to do this in the morning and that doesn't work for them. Or, you know, it, it becomes this, this weird regulatory thing that I don't necessarily want you know, to overly be stuck in. I understand in the beginning that those things are really necessary. You want to find that rhythm. And that's why you kind of found me as you did or with that post was because I was out of the, the pink cloud with my own spiritual journey. I was kind of petering it off and it's been very uncomfortable because I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I'm having to listen um, in a way that I've never experienced before. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of sated in the idea that nothing is going to, I've survived more things than, than I, I would think would be possible to survive and get out the way I have. So I, I, I kind of feel this neat leisure about it. Like that, you know, there's, there's a lot of wiggle room in the, in the things, but I don't really want to be too, I don't really want to be that stuck in, in one rhythm or things. And with tattooing, it's problematic because we always have to function and we're well, not have to, but we, if we say go to a convention, it's a whole other way of operating. If we go to a guest spot, it's a whole other way of operating. Like even if you go on vacation, which I don't even like to take vacations because it breaks that rhythm so much that I hate it to a point where I can't relate to other people. Like I can't let people in. And so right now I'm trying so much to just integrate myself into other people and not be girded by these rules that are just mine. I know that it's essential for me to have those principles that are, that people can rely on for me but I want them to be principles of character, of integral action, of, you know, just, just the kind of person that you know that no matter when you go to them, it's going to be a place of atonement and acceptance rather than, you know, every time I go to Amy, she's going to be this. Or, you know, when I go to Amy, I have to act this way. And for a long time, that was my life. Like friends would book 
things like months in advance with me. They're like, you know, my birthday is coming up. Make sure you don't have a convention or something like that. <laughs> I was, I was getting people to the point where they were like, she's always busy because that's what I would always say. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. And you know, you can, you can be busy endlessly. I, I mean, I'm constantly like in my head, just a mess. So it feels busy all the time. You know what I mean? Like, is this I making do. sense? <laughs> yeah. Well, and so th- I think when I talk about having like those things that I have to do, you know, yeah. they're flexible, but that's, I think a big part of the purpose of having those things Yes. Um, is because that acts as like a way of splitting up my day it acts as a way of grounding me so that I get pulled out of this stuff where I think, oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, you know, because a lot of that's where the endorphins are. The endorphins aren't in sitting down and spending time with my wife every night to make sure we turn off our phones and eat dinner together. Like, that that's not necessarily a fun thing. I enjoy that time with my wife, but it's not like giving me a bunch of like feel good. Um, But it's important and it slows me down and it brings me back to earth, you know, otherwise I would get off work and I'd go run off to the gym or I'd go do something with one of my coworkers. It's like, no, actually it's seven 30. I need to be home. I need to be with my wife. Yeah. Um, Or I'd sit and I'd just draw all night and forget to eat. Uh, So, you know, having those like tasks, like this is a part of the habit. It it grounds me and stops me from flying off in every direction. Well, and in the opposite end of what I said, I, I do think that, you know, when you're cultivating a family, um, those are the kind of foundational things that I think no matter how much a kid might resent it on the way that I, I kind of framed it when they look back on that reflects, you know, like in a reflect reflective way, they'll be like, Oh, my, my family made time for me to keep that, you know, a sacred place. So I do think that that's really necessary. Well, and on the topic of cultivating that within a family, isn't really that what we should be trying to cultivate with all people in our communities, mm-hmm. like, especially as Christians, like, yeah. I mean, we should really be treating everyone in our community as if they are our family. Correct. And so taking those times to, to literally do that stuff with them, to do it for ourselves, to do it with God is actually like a, a huge part of our calling. And, you know, there's a lot of reason for that. God wants us to slow down. You know, if you look, uh, Judeo-Christian religions are the only religions in the world that mandate a day where you don't do anything. Yeah. And that is such an important, like, just primal concept in our brains. Like, God wanted us to take time off. Yeah. Um, and, And, you know, that's why prayer is so, so important. And so many of these things that I'm talking about like that I make myself do they are acts of prayer and they're all I mean I quite literally uh like start them with prayer wake up first thing in the morning with my daughter she's eight months old has no idea what we're doing but we sit down and we pray while she gets her bottle 
Mm -hmm. um like that is literally the first thing she does every morning my wife when we sit down for dinner we pray every day uh before we eat you know even when i go into work and i'm about to start a tattoo there's this moment of quiet i I vape so i'm sitting in the back room i'm vaping by myself and i'm taking a moment of peace a moment of prayer in these little calming moments throughout the day, stop all that scatter so much because you get brought yeah. back, you know, you might've been scattered, but now you're brought back. So the pieces have to scatter again, you know, so yeah. you can't have everything keep going everywhere if it keeps getting condensed. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that post too, I, I was really I was really expecting awful things to come from it. You were very brave. <laughs> I was expecting awful things when I wrote it, when I read it. Um, I was expecting it to be very mean and it was not you. at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I expect, I think that that's kind of it for me too, is um, in every kind of way, I think because I decided not to have kids, I've kind of taken, it's really messed my parents up, man. Um, Cause I scare the crap out of them, but I'm always willing to kind of be the sacrificial lamb to anything like that because I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to do what I'm afraid of. And I'm, <laughs> I just do it because I'm like, I, I, I want people, I, I admire people who do that. I like people who do that. And you know, the only way the only way to do it is to risk big. I didn't even think like when I did it, I was like, well, you know, whatever. But I, I, I needed it. And it was much like touching back with a sponsor. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to church. I am taking that every day, you know, a week. And that has been, I mean, it's, it's undeniably been, I mean, a godsend. Um, but it, it has been my, my grounding in a lot of ways. And, but the problem is, is that when you go to church and even within, you know, humans, they always think that their way of interpretation or whatever yeah. is the way. And, you know, I'm walking in. I mean, a lot of people would have thought, wow, it was bold to walk into a church full of like, you know, I mean, literally, like, I'm probably one of the young, youngest people there aside from like children. So, you know, there's only like a handful that are like around my age group and I'm like covered in tattoos, like visibly. So right away, it's just this, like, who is this person? <laughs> and like, what is she about? And, um, and so I, I've been just, tr- I came there because ever since COVID and ever since, I think it, it was the final broken heart that I had the last hope that I had in I don't know how to put it, but putting faith into other people like that finally died. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, I got to put myself in, into believing in something that's worthy of believing on that level. You know, it's not here. Everything here will die. Everything here will disappoint me. Everything here is going to break my heart. So what can I put my hope into? What can I put my peace into? And so I was like, well, you know, my parents go to this church. I I want to know my parents more. You know, I want to get close to them. I freak them out. 
So maybe mm-hmm. if I spend one day a week with them, maybe it'll be better. So I go and, and, you know, I, I tell people, you know, I'm, I was just, I, tattooing's different now. Like, and, and like you, I, it's not that I wanted to stop tattooing. I just saw it going in so many ways that I didn't appreciate it. And I saw the clientele having a relationship with it that I felt was, um, I just felt powerless to kind of control it because it, it's very commercial and it, and it, it kind of always has been like, you know, it's kind of like dance for me, monkey dance. Like as, as an artist, it's like perform, perform. And I hear it with comedians too. Like they're like, people come, Oh, you're a comedian. Well, you're not funny. And they're like, well, no, that's not <laughs> make <laughs> me laugh. It's, yeah. It's, it's not, I, I have a set. I'm not going to pull it out now. No, right. I, like, I kind of have to sell this shit. <laughs> I, I think it's great hearing about your apprehension going to church as a tattooed person. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt the exact same way. You know, we first started really getting into going over COVID. So it was all these like online churches and nobody could see us. And, you know, we're my wife and I are sitting in our living room on our couch in our pajamas. Um, and I'm still using it this time too. Um, and you know then we start going in person we don't like the church anymore than now that we're going in person um so we start looking for a new church because we still want to be going we like it we like going to church we just realized that this church was not for us when we're actually there um and we find this church and we go and i bought like nice slacks and like you know, all these nice dress shirts. And because I'm like, I'm covered in tattoos. I cannot show up looking even like slightly underdressed. And this church has been nothing but warm and welcoming and loving to us. Like our pastor has like a little tiny baby tattoo on his finger. That's like his wife's initials. And, you know, um, there's other members of the church that are tattooed, but I'm still like, none of them are tattooed like me, you know, but and we have been shown nothing but love. Uh, I I serve communion like every other month Aww. at church. You know, I'm one of the like people who stands up to serve communion with people. And I mean, I know the listeners don't have video, but I am a tattoo artist. I look like a tattoo artist. Um, and never a question, you know, it's really a community that, it cares about just love and acceptance and Christians are not an, a, a homogenous group, you know, like, and even as a believer, when you're going into a new place, you're like, oh man, this is just going to be a bunch of those people. And it's just not the case. Um, yeah. You know, those people exist. You could go to that church, but m- most of them are not like that. They're just people who want to do something nice in their community. They want to feel like they have support and they just like singing and getting free cookies on Sunday mornings. You know, that's like <laughs> 90% of people who go to a church. <laughs> um, so, well, I, <laughs> I, you know, it was weird because again, I'm very rude. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like <laughs> because I've been such the. I mean, I don't know, but I think I've been the black sheep of my family for so long that I've 
I didn't look bad when I went, but I, I just kind of hung out and saw, like, I was like, in my mind, it was like, well, let's see what these people really are. You know, if they're going to treat me awful, then I'm not going to go. But I, I couldn't imagine, um, my mother is not a, a easy person to please. And this pastor, she absolutely loves. And to have the kind of high marks that she gives him regularly is not, I mean, I just knew it would be fine, honestly. It's more so that like, it, it's had conflicting things with parishioners about their views of tattooing, which I appreciate because I'm trying to see it from every angle now. And I'm I'm trying to figure out how to do this in a way that really feels right for me. Um, and I don't think that it's right for me to give it up um, because it, it's something that I'm really good at. And I also think that it's something that heals more than it hurts. Um, and I also know that from a perspective of not being tattooed or being limitedly tattooed, you, you, you don't really get it. Um, you know, so I took their perspectives, but then I was like, well, I, I need to like check in with my sponsors, which are other tattoo artists and, and see what they have to think, because I want to see it from both sides, you know, and I know that I can't, you know, I know it can't be the only Christian tattoo artist. And I love how some, that post got so much love and so many great responses, even from people who are not Christ followers um, that were beautiful. And one, one of the ones that I really love when you said that we're not homogenous and I do see this is that she's like, we're not a religion. We just follow Christ, yeah. you know, and that's why it's not homogenous. It's like, everybody gets to pick their way that which they do it. And that's because we're all gifted by God differently. And we're supposed to shine those gifts differently in this world. And so it's not for anyone to really dictate. And going back to what you said earlier, when you started watching Miami Inc., I actually saw this really great interview when I was first learning, when I was a first apprentice, well, not first, my second apprenticeship in tattooing, when I first started that one. Um, I went to see at a non-denominational synagogue, which I didn't even know it was a thing because I'm not Jewish. Um, I went to see uh, Ami James speak on you know, being a tattoo artist, but being Jewish. And he's actually also served in, I think the um, Israeli army. And so he was like the most tattooed there. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm reflecting about how he came to it, but he, he spoke on it in terms of, and I didn't really realize how powerful it was at the time. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't convicted by any faith. I didn't have any, you know, path. I didn't, you know, I had this, I always felt God but I, I didn't feel it in any kind of, I don't know. I always felt that, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't framed by anything, I guess, or it didn't have any history behind it. It was kind of arrogant and insolent to history. I was like, oh, I'm going to do my own thing. And, and I didn't look back and I look at all of these other amazing human beings that had come to the same thing and the same revelation. So I was in that like selfish mode, but he said that at one point, he felt what I was feeling and um, this conflict about tattooing and his faith. And he said, he went to like in Israel, like one of the most like top, I don't even know what you call them, rabbis, religious people. 
and he conferred with him and he was like, you know, is God, is God mad that I tattoo? Is this okay? Is it okay that I tattoo? And the, he said, it really pissed me off his answer (laughs) because his answer was, well, that's between you and God. (laughs) And he's like, he like slung it back at me and I was really mad because I wanted him, I wanted some resolve. I wanted him to either condemn it or condone it, but he didn't, he didn't say that. <laughs> and, and that's one of my biggest things that I try to talk with people about when they're like, especially people who are really like new into religion and into faith is there are two types of people who will talk to you about God. There are people who will tell you what God thinks and there will people are people who will tell you what God has told them. Mm -hmm. And those are very different things. You know, God speaks to all of us and we should, it's our responsibility when God talks to us to let other people know what's Mm -hmm. going on in our hearts and the way God is pushing us. But when we try and talk for God, that's a totally different thing, you know, and there's so much of that talking for God, especially like when you start looking at like politics or some of these more like out there people. Again, the gurus I was complaining about at the beginning, there's lots of religious shows that are the same way where it's like, I know everything God wants you to know. Look, I read this Bible. It's like I have read that same book since I was six years old. I I know what it says also. And I can tell you, that's not what God told me that means. (laughs) Like, yes. Yes. um, Like, my little sister, um, she's just my little sister is starting her like kind of path and it's bringing her into church, which I think is great. It's amazing. And she told me that she doesn't know what she really thinks or feels or believes. And I'm like, that's, that's great. That's great. That is yeah. how you should be right now. Yeah. And what if you're seriously looking at churches, you just got to make sure you don't find a church that tells you how to feel. Mm-hmm. They just tell you what they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think that's like the best path to go forward with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a further, I think it's a further confrontation with a problem that I have which is the codependency I mean when I came to this it automatically not automatically because I still have to practice it because I still care a lot about what people think and I do care about them more than I care about myself half the time which is very inappropriate I mean my boundaries are haywire um but as soon as I started like believing that way it was so much easier to kind of listen to what other people say and then just kind of shelf it and be like okay I'll consider it yeah but the only person or being that I'm going to listen to is God and I'll pray for you if this comes down to a point where we can't find any resolve or whatever you're dealing with is beyond my ability to help you with I'm just going to pray for you. Whereas before I would just feel this urgency to fix it or to be involved or to care or to sacrifice myself in ways that were so inappropriate. And it's been so amazingly healing to, I don't know, just like you said, the slowdown and this 
you know, I, I noticed it in jujitsu, everything that I've tackled, I've kind of put myself into these states of fear and discomfort. That's what led mm-hmm. me to podcasting, actually. First, I started with public speaking, which I hated and I was terrified of. And so I went to Toastmasters, which is this whole course that you can take where you uh, learn how to public speak and they give you a, a platform to work through it. So I kind of conquered that. And then after that, I did jujitsu, which I have always admired martial arts and things like that. And people were really atoned with their bodies. And, you know, as a, as a tattoo artist, you know, physicality, we have, we have to, because we're so stagnant, we don't do something that gets us up and moving. It's going to be bad. So I was like, well, I'll approach this fear. I've never been physically in an altercation. So let's try that. And what I noticed was it's much like it's much like anything when you're in a fight or when you're in this space, you can't overthink it. You, you have to just act, react, act, react, slow everything down and take exactly what you're given in that moment and not try to predict. Don't try to control. It's really weird. It's like, um, like last samurai, I've said it before on the, on my podcast, but it's, when he says too many mind, no mind, like you have to just be present and just breathe and and kind of be willing to die <laughs> at any moment. And it's really cool. But my, I never got that way in jujitsu. I did it for a year. My, my instructor was like, Amy, I don't, I don't really understand you, man. Like you, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, I'm freaking out. <laughs> it's like, we can't do that. I said, well, I, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I'm like really freaking out here. <laughs> But yeah, that's how it is. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's so that's because you're a tattoo artist, right? You're you're not there to just passively do stuff. You you have to be in that panic mode and in that like create and direct influence everything, right? Mm-hmm. You're that's how our brains are wired. We're constantly adjusting and fixing and putting in, and everything is entirely under our control, um, which is part of why so many of us have mental problems is because that is the way we think. And then our shit leaves and we can't touch it anymore. We're not in control of it anymore. So it's like the two extreme ends of the spectrum, you know? So like when you get a tattoo that comes back and it looks like trash, you're like, well, what did you do for aftercare? You know, like it's their fault because you couldn't even fathom the idea that it's your fault out loud. (laughs) Because <laughs> you it, know it's your fault, even if it wasn't, you know, they could have gone swimming in, you know, Lake Michigan and you're going to tell yourself it was your fault. So you have to tell them it was their fault. And it's like this weird, like mm-hmm. trying to cover your own tracks for your insecurities. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, I think, I think, uh, I think for me, I, I, um, because I'm in an unregulated state for tattooing, um, I've had to think of it from a very earnest place. Um, so part of the discussions that I have with my clients are much like this, um, where I'm, you know, I think you're the same, where I'm just kind of vulnerable constantly. Um, you know, part of the problem is, is that uh, I think there's that 
fear of retribution on a like a legal level when it comes to accountability that way too and where that's going to go I actually, you know, when you're formulating a business and you're having to to deal with those possibilities, um, I've always tried to like just be very earnest and take the hit, because uh, like I said, I'm kind of okay with being the sacrificial lamb. I don't know if you've listened how far you've listened back, but I've shared with my audience that. You know, I was committed by my parents at one point. That was at one of my lowest, uh, I guess maybe it was just not a lowest. It, it was kind of earth shattering, but it was awesome um, where my whole life was destined to be taken over and forced on me. And I just prayed to God and without, I mean, it took 20 years later to even become a Christian, but prayed to God and said, kill me now kill me now if this is the life that I have to live. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be like this with people. I don't want to that, that phrase. I, I forget who said it. I think it was Walt Whitman. It's like quiet desperation like that, that I don't want to live that way. I can't live that way. And I didn't die. I got actually released the next day and I was put back into the world again. And so for me, that was my permission to be like, okay, if you want to live this way, that's fine. But now you have to listen and now you have to truly own all of your decisions and you have to be accountable. So from here on out, you know, getting back to the whole legal thing of it is that for instance, I, and I'll, I'll put this out live. I don't, I don't even care. So I don't care. Like I'm, I'm just like, if God wants me to be taken out, he'll take me out. If he wants to uplift me, I'll be uplifted. If this is going to be the end, it'll be the end. I, I, I literally meant it. <laughs> I approached because I knew I was opening a private studio. I approached my insurance guy who I love. And I said, you know, I want to get insurance for my business. And he's like, Amy, I've been doing insurance for like 20 some years. I've never insured a tattoo shop. I don't even know how to do it. I was like, well, there's no regulation in the state. So I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. He's like, well, let me do some research and I'll get back to you. And so I um, got this plan from him uh, uh, like a few days later. And it was all sourcing New York, which I guess, you know, is the next state closest. Close and they're yeah. so regulated, especially like New York City-ish because it was illegal for a while and they had to go through all of that. And like in the fine print, it says this might not even cover you because, you know, it's all kind of it's it's going to take case law probably to even formulate the regulation or the insurance protocols to, to fit around it. So and it wasn't a cheap or it wasn't a um it wasn't an expensive insurance plan. It was like a $900 for the year. But I was like, why why am I going to do this? Yeah. It's not even going to guarantee to cover me. I just decided that I was like fuck it. I'm 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 not going to do this. I'm just going to make sure that that me and my clients have a very good understanding of, of each other. And I'm just going to do my very best. And I'm just going to be as earnest and honest and open and informative as I can be with each person. I'm going to give 
everybody as much opportunity to back out. Sometimes in consultations, I'll flat out try to talk people out of stuff or I'll like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'll, I just flip it around a million times. I do like these really long consultations with people just so that I, I can fully understand their idea, but I can also help bring them into the idea and kind of ferret out, you know, where they're misstepping or not, not misstepping, but like bring them into the fold enough so that they can meet me halfway. Cause if you don't do that with your client, I think that's when you risk the legal aspects of it. When somebody feels like they were had or they were overcharged or not well attended to, or, you know, they're, they were urgently pushed into something that they felt like they didn't have enough time. I, that is one thing that has become adamant. And that was a big thing that I actually learned on that post too, is that people are like, take the time, slow it down. Maybe you need to expand your consultation process more. So it made me feel really good because it made me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. I, it just feels awful that <laughs> I don't know if it's okay. You know, like I, nothing's telling me this is fine. And it's, it goes back to that ADHD, that adult attention deficit. It's like, there's no framework for this, man. Like I'm not following any rule. In fact, I'm going against every rule right now. <laughs> And it feels really, really weird. And I'm not a rebel, dude. Like I am a brown noser. I Like you talked about being like not a good student. I was like, sh- not straight A, but because I'm not smart to be straight to be honest with you. Um, but I was like, how can I get close to the teacher? How can I do, you know, like I was like sitting in the front of the class, like we're going to, we're going to listen. Um, I was like wrangling and other students, like stop being a, dur- you know, I was that kid. So for me to go this way is completely weird. It's weird. I feel like a rebel. So I love what you were talking about with taking your time with your consultations and with your clients. You know, my I tell people all the time at my consults, like there's no pressure to come into this. My, my stepdad sold used cars my whole life. Mm. And when I was in high school, I remember he sat down and told me just how much he hated his job. He felt bad doing it. He even quit for a couple of years because it just mm-hmm. made him feel bad. Uh, he's good at it, but uh, he, he just felt bad pushing people into these cars. I never want to feel like that with my clients. And I make sure they all know that, um, you know, like there's nothing is forcing you to get tattooed. There is absolutely nothing that makes you get a tattoo and even today, clients show up and they're not 100% sure about a design that I made for them. I'm like, hey, you don't have to get this. Like, unfortunately, yes, you will need to compensate me through the form of your down payment because I also did work and come in and, you know, I have a job, but I'm not going to make you get this tattoo. You don't like it. I'm not going to force you to sit down in this chair. You have to make that decision yourself. I'm happy to redesign it, but. You know, like you got to tell me what to do here too. You know, it's a collaborative process. Um, But there are tattooers who don't treat it like that, you know, and this was a big part of at least my upbringing in tattooing was to kind of push tattoos onto people and to make sure you sat them down, you got their money because the boss needed his 50%. Um, 
So it, it's great to not have to do that anymore. Oh yeah, man. Well, and, and in some, some ways, because I started, I did, um, I did an apprenticeship in 2004 and I learned for a year, left that shop and then did hair. I, I did my second apprenticeship in hair and got my, my license in hair. And then I came back to tattooing in like 2010. So I saw two evolutions of, of the craft, but um the the 2010 was like the renaissance of tattooing is when all the art kids were coming in and like exploding the industry and so things were really shifting and you did find a lot of animosity like that especially with um you know shops that for the most part that's how they that's how they made their business you know people would walk in and they decide on the spot to get something and I come from a a more high-end hair background where it's service industry like the whole point was to take people outside of their work mode and their house mode and have this atonement space of just it's all about you so it was weird for me when I started in 2010 to really adopt any of that immediate tattooing kind of thing I was just like this is not this isn't good I got resented a lot like I I got really picked on a lot in the beginning um, by not my mentor. My mentor, I think, was listening. And I think he saw that I I was going to uplift his business a lot. Um, but the other people in the shop really resented me because I was kind of shitting on their way. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, but this is so awful to do to people. Like, you can't treat people like this. Um, but tattooing is such an allure. And that's the other thing is that it's like the most incredible forbidden fruit. I never, I, I, I got my first tattoo when I started learning to tattoo. I never had a tattoo before I tattooed. So I didn't even understand how evocative it was. You know, you'd think that you'd think that it was more crazy to tattoo somebody than to cut their hair. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. Um, because the 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 psychological impact of haircuts actually go further back into childhood trauma because you have to get your haircut as a kid yeah. and you're prisoner to someone else. I mean, nobody's I mean, hopefully nobody's tattooing you as a child. So like you don't have this automatic like feeling of powerlessness and and stuff with it. So there's so much psychological stuff that comes into a haircut. Not to mention it's a business built on retention, not just a one-time artistic feat. Now with tattooing, like you said, you can formulate your clientele any way you want to. And right now, like all of them are my friends and like, they're all awesome. They're repeat and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people who, you know, they do, they do one person and they don't see them ever again. And it's just, just that's done, yeah. um, but not with hair. So and to get that kind of retention means a certain level of consistency, you know, a place of comfort, uh, you know, actual having to meet people and, and I don't know, and atone them. So when I came to tattooing and I saw the way that it worked, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy to me. And how many people wanted to get tattooed? And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And they're like, yeah, I don't care just, I, I want to be tattooed. And it was just astounding to me because you can't, you can't take it back <laughs> with hair. At least it grows out. But you know, if I messed up 
somebody's haircut, I'd never see them again. Even friends of mine that, that, that volunteered, they thought that they could handle it, you know, being a, mm -mm. if I messed up their hair, man, they never let me touch them again. It's great. You could do a bad tattoo on this, on someone 20 times and yep. it'll still keep coming back as long as it's only $10. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Um, it's amazing to me. Um, but yeah, it's such a thing that like even consulting people who are, you know, generalized business people, I I can't even, I can't consult with them because they're always trying to think about how to grow your business. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I have like two years worth of people that I'm not getting back to right now. Like I don't need more business. Um, I don't even know what I need. <laughs> like I, I just want to feel like I'm doing the right thing and what that is is just this really weird I gotta make it thing and I think this is a really great podcast for both of our shows because this is what all of our listeners are having to confront I think because if they're taking this journey they're really taking the journey into being their own boss their own creative force their own internal and and I do think that comes from a higher plane because now that I, I know God, I know that none of it's me, which is also great because for me, being on any kind of pedestal with people felt bad. I, I did not like owning any of their praises. I, I, I appreciated the fact that it made me attractive to people, but it felt, I don't know, it, like when people say I'm smart, I'm like, no, I'm not. I've done four apprenticeships in my life two in hair and two in tattooing do you think that a smart person would need that much like i'm <laughs> thick as fuck dude like <laughs> i need to do that i need to fail so much <laughs> in, in every way well you know part of the thing with tattooing is we're not like anything else like you said and we are all our own boss and we are all constantly being told how cool we are and how great we are because people just love tattoos like even if you're not a great tattooer people think tattoos are cool so what you do is cool and we know better as people who are in, inundated with it and live in that culture we can see what's good so that tears us down but also we're not meant to as people, we're not meant to be looked at as this super awesome, cool thing. We're supposed to be communal and just like everyone else. And when we get raised up, it makes us feel off. And that's why so many tattooers end up, you know, drinking themselves to death or taking pills till they're dead or, you know, fucking just act, yeah, <laughs> act, or act like assholes mm -hmm. all the time. Because they don't know how else to function, mm -hmm. um, which is such an important thing about getting to have just like good talks like this. And, you know, in an ideal world, you and I wouldn't need to do podcasts because people would be having these conversations with their coworkers. They'd be having them with their partners, with their friends, with their clients, but they're not because we also have to keep looking cool or we're afraid people won't want to give us money. Or it. it yeah, you're right. It's not an or you're that's right. Um, it, it's, it's actually 
ran rampant in my relationships you know like what you were saying about it's just art and artists in general like I, I going back to what I said we do it from a place of need and atonement people come to it from a source of inspiration and I've had partners get really jealous of me in that vein and they're like everybody wants to talk to you you know your job and I was like yeah because art is simple as fuck dude you don't need to have a degree to have an emotional response to it you know that's why it was you that's why we get used constantly is because it it's it's a great influencer and it's something that you know every power structure has utilized since the dawn of time and it also it helped bridge the gap in like the religious aspect of it like these stories these biblical stories before people could actually read they did these huge paintings and all of these you know they had artists depict you know these religious scenes or these stained glass windows or things like that it was something that people could translate from a non you know like they didn't have to know the language they didn't have to you know it split the divide it's engineered kind of to be that way and I'm like what he did was he was an audio engineer which would have factored in really well but we didn't work out um but I was like do you understand that nobody knows what you do like they what you do requires a specialized skill that is so like they don't even realize that the band only sounds that good because of you like they don't get that like you're you have to be okay with being the behind the scenes guy I was like everybody used a cell phone we don't know who made this who constructed it who put it together Who's that unsung hero? And like you said, they probably are in a foreign country, like getting pennies for what otherwise would be, you know, 20 to $30 an hour here. So like, that's, that's more important to people's general, I think, lives. You're more incremental in people's lives like that, you know, and, you know, we really have to determine, are you doing it from a place of what you're asking for, like all this recognition, all this love, or are you doing it because you just love it, dude? Because I'm doing it because I just love it. And you're trying to compete with something that I've loved and I've come to since I was a little kid and you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Like as my partner, you're not going to win this fight. (laughs) So you either accept me as I am and love the person you're with or not, but like, that's it. Well, and you think about it too. Uh, I think I said this earlier. I look like a tattoo artist. You look like a tattoo artist. Yeah. Uh, Anybody listening, they can picture a tattoo artist in their head and they know what we look like. And that's also one of those things that makes it hard to escape and not, you know, like, show up in a room and people just know to talk to you about tattoos it's already something they like it's something they don't have to know anything about but can still have a conversation about and we look like the person to have that conversation with of course we get the attention Mm -hmm. well it's funny because yes now i actually purposely did that um i'm not i'm not like super tattooed on the places that are covered up like honestly as far as most tattoo artists uh, my clients are beating me in a lot of ways honestly in that regard 
I purposely did my neck so that people would know I was a tattoo artist because I love it. And I love yeah. what I want is to educate people about it. And so I like any opportunity. Obviously, I love talking. I like any opportunity where I get to stand on a soapbox and tell people about things. Um, and they're truly interested, you know, like they are truly interested. Um, my boyfriend at the time looked more like a tattoo artist than I did. I think that he was more tattooed. I had covered him with some tat, like a lot of tattoos. So, um, he could reel him in that way. But I think that once he started talking about audio engineering, it's such a specified knowledge that you yeah. lose people halfway through. It's just like, <laughs> that's nice, dude. <laughs> like that's yep. nice. Whereas, you know, when it comes to tattooing, I think just because everybody wants it so much and maybe they're just lips, maybe they're just entertaining me. Maybe I'm just standing up there and they're zoning out too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but they're sitting there. And I guess it's just because what I have, they want so much that they're willing to do it. Um, I'm not sure, but I take advantage of that. I know a lot of tattoo artists hate it, but I love it. I love being, you know, accosted in the grocery store. Like, oh, you know, where do you get your tattoos? I love it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I, I, I am definitely on the other end of that spectrum. I don't, I, I, I like having my life, those compartments and that schedule I was talking about. I'm sorry, real quick. I'm just going to kiss my boyfriend goodbye. He's uh, oh, yeah. going off to the Better work. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, I'll see you later. You have a great day. You too. <laughs> this is Rico. <laughs> Hi, Rico. That's Mike. <laughs> love you, babe. I'll see you later. I love you too. Have a great day, babe. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> yep. Well, on that note, we do have you actually, reached. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to take 10? Uh, we can, I've got to grab a snack. And then yeah. anybody who wants to keep listening to us can hop over to my episode to hear you give your story and do the tattooed mind. Sure. I mean, I, I really, um, uh, just to park it real quick, I, I didn't really do my normal thing and investigating too much into you. I was just kind of like, let's see how it goes. So I apologize if it was too much me. No, it's um, great. That. It was good, good, good podcast, but yeah, let's, I have to pee. So, so do great. I, Okay, cool. Yeah, I need a granola bar. Awesome. So we'll pause it here. How do I, uh, here, pause. Yeah. Well, you stop, I'll send you my link so I can have the recording on my computer perfect. Uh, I'm so bummed that I talk so much in this podcast, guys, because I misinterpreted the whole pre-show deal. I think the way I had it imagined, and this is a lot about me yet again, I'm just pissed that I that I misinterpreted this whole thing. Um, but you know, I'm a fool. And I'm fine with being a fool and falling on my face in front of all of you. I mean, if nothing else, this is this is a diary entry on, I guess, what not to be at a lot of times. But uh, the way I interpreted it was that that he was going to take whatever recording we did at this point and then cut it up and, and make it be a part of his show. And I just thought we were going to do Roman recording. No, he was actually giving me the lead at first in the vein of this, my podcast structure with him, which would have been... A deep dive into him. I'm really trying. I'm real. I, I promise you guys, I'm really trying to <laughs> learn more about other people and actually interview them when they're in front of me, not just have back and forth conversations that I find really nice. But, you know, and I do think they yield some things, but I, 
I had every intention of framing him more. And it just, I want, I mean, personally, I'd like a do-over, but I guess this leaves the beautiful opportunity for you guys to go. Go, go, go. Check out his podcast. I do believe he starts with himself and doing an introduction. So take some time, learn about the tattooed mind, follow him everywhere you can. Mike, I'm really sorry that I misinterpreted this, but um, you're such an awesome dude, and uh, I don't think this is the end. Diary listeners, have a very blessed week. Thank you for your patience. My hope is, is that this week has already been amazing for you in so many ways. But continue to make it amazing, and certainly, certainly follow Mike everywhere you can. Again, it's Mike Fisher Du Bois. And you can find him on uh, Instagram. And uh, I believe his podcast is currently on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So check it out, man. I love you all. And God bless. Thanks for listening. You can find The Apprenticeship Diaries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our IG is the underscore apprenticeship underscore diaries. If you would like to offer constructive criticism or an interview, drop us an email at theapprenticeshipdiaries at gmail.com. We We look look forward forward to hearing from from our listeners. listeners.